AI in Action is brought to you by Aulis International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Our host brings you the leading minds in AI, sharing their story, their success, and their advice. Focusing on fast-tracking you to the top, AI in Action cuts through the hype to help you kickstart your data science career. To listen to the latest AI in Action podcast, head over to www.aldis.com forward slash podcast, or subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Orders Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sparks, and today we are continuing with our ServiceNow series, uh, interviewing some of the best and brightest leaders and technical talent from across the ServiceNow and digital transformation ecosystem. Um, Today, we're lucky to host John Janik. Uh, John is an award-winning information officer with a multidisciplinary background. Uh, He provides himself on building disruptive and transformational initiatives from the ground up, uh, specializing in technology modernization, risk management, and business transformation. John currently holds the position of Chief Technologist at the Dev Technology Group, um, and their focus is make technology work for government so government can work for us, which sounds great. Um, John has kindly offered to give us an overview of um, the Dev Technology Group, uh, some of the value they bring to their customers, uh, some of the overarching themes that he has seen and and is currently seeing in the government sector, um, and also his view on what the future holds for digital transformation uh, within the government sector as well. So, uh, John, I'm I'm excited and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Ben. It's great to be here today. You know, it's it's funny that that tagline that you used is something I've said before. Uh, Dev's actual tagline is, you know, excellence by design, right? And it's it's really kind of goes to the core of of what we try and do for our clients. My my passion has always been, and this will come out, I think, in some of our conversation, the mission is what matters, right? So if we can make technology work for government, then the government will work better for us. And I think that's a message that everybody can get behind. Um, But I'm, I'm really excited to be here today. Love it. Awesome. So, so look, as we, we teed that up nicely, let's talk Dev Technology Group. Um, you know, can you give us an overview of the organization? Yeah. Uh, so I've been here about a year and a half now. Uh, I joined um, from the private sector. And before that, I was in the State Department. I was a member of the U.S. Foreign Service. And, you know, one of the things that really brought me to Dev, uh, I, had a, I had a five-minute conversation with our CEO, Kendall Holbrook. And, and no kidding, in five minutes, she had completely sold me on the, the mission focus and the user focus, uh, employee-centric position of our organization, right? So, you know, we we take it very seriously. You know, so agile and human-centered design has been around for what two, maybe three decades, uh, and De- and Dev's been around for 23 years, right? So that means that while the West Coast was creating this idea of what user-centric design was. We, we were already partnered with government delivering solutions that were mission focused, that were people focused, right? User focused. How do folks interact with the information and, and how do they need it best delivered so that they can do their mission uh, very early on, right? And, and that's been a hallmark of our organization. It's kind of been how we work and deliver for the government and so that we can do it quickly and we can focus on those outcomes. And that really ties into our core values, which have always been people-focused, right? Integrity, respect, collaboration, innovation, resilience, community. Uh, th- these things are, a lot of folks talk about them, we live them. It really makes us unique in our industry. 
Awesome, awesome. Sounds great. And that must have been a really productive five minutes um, with your uh, with your now boss. Um, so, you know, looking at uh, the organization, uh, how, how do you add value to customers is as basic of the questions that might sound. Yeah, right. So, it, you know, it's a fascinating question. It get, kind of gets into this deeper question of, you know, why do large organizations partner with specialist teams to accomplish things? And and I realize that's multifaceted, but you know, there's this big push in government around now to bring in lots of technologists and and this kind of um, perspective of well, you know, and, and it's not just government; all large organizations, right? There's always this intention to like, hey, we can we can do it ourselves. And the reality is is that large organizations have all the baggage that large organizations do, right? And so you want to intentionally partner with with organizations that have complementary skill sets that might be uh, more nimble and agile, right? And and so there's a couple of different reasons that that when you peel it back, that organizations tend to partner, right? One is uh, they want to partner with folks who have a core, who have familiarity with their core missions, right? They understand what they are and whether that's an industry vertical or in the government, we call mission sets, right? We want to make sure that we're working with folks who understand where we're coming from and what we're trying to achieve. The second part of that is also trying to make sure that, you know, we've, they've got a, a good technical depth and that they understand the platforms that we're trying to work in, right? And then the third part of that is we, we actually want to you know, and this is a, a deaf technology thing, as well as broader, you know, much more broadly speaking, a government-wide thing. But we want to build solid ecosystems, right? I think there's, you know, as we go into agile and lean and and kind of how do we think about things differently, this idea of these great big monolithic companies doing everything is just going away. And so now it's it's more about how do we build the right ecosystem to support our mission profile and how do we create the right um, technology solutions and and how they're going to differ, you know, because every agency has different security requirements and licensing requirements and so on and so forth, and and really kind of helping the agency figure out how do we get value out of what we're trying to do more quickly, and how do we deliver that value to the actual users, uh, and make sure that the business owners are being taken care of at the same time. Nice. Thanks for that. Um, so looking at you specifically and, and your current role and responsibilities, talk us through um, the role and, and responsibilities of a chief technologist. Yeah, thanks. Uh, that's an interesting question. Too. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do? Yeah, yeah what do you the do? office space interlude, right? Sounds um, great, but what do you do? <laughs> what do you do here? Um, I think, you know, especially with the with the pandemic you know, over the past year, uh, you know, people are coming to the realization that technology is the business, right? I, I, it goes without saying, it's been a cliche for a long time, but, you know, what Mark Andressen said in, in 2011, that software will eat the world, right? And it's, it's without a doubt, it's true. If, if you look over the past year, you can't deny that software, more than anything else, has accelerated vaccine development, has accelerated vaccine deployment, has accelerated working from home and teleworking and all the different solutions, has accelerated education. There is no part of society over the past year that software has not fundamentally changed. And, and make no mistake, this shift is fundamental, right? So so that's a good inter, interlude into what do I do, where am I at? What's the position? Uh, a lot of folks confuse chief technology officer with chief technologist, right? And they're similar. And in some cases, they can be the same thing. But I, I choose to focus on them 
a little bit differently, right? My, my view on it is that a chief technologist tends to focus on a, a switch from, and this is a semantic switch, but a switch from kind of a traditional command and control, an officer position kind of denotes they, they maybe they have some kind of tie back to the board or they're involved at some kind of corporate level, right? And they're they're part of the hierarchy, right? Where a technologist is really, it's it's a partner, it's a collaborator. It's somebody you go to to talk about how do I how do I do this better? How do I do this more effectively? How do I improve, right? And that's what I want to be, right? I want to be at at dev, you know, the chief technologist as a role is helping the technical community grow, making sure they've got the right tools to deliver value, both for themselves and for the clients, making sure that technology is accessible to everyone at dev technology, no matter their role, right? So we want our business analysts and we want our user design folks and we want everybody who's involved in technology because the reality is again going back to the original part of this conversation technology is everything today we want everybody to be involved um, to make sure that they've got access and then also working externally with our partners with our agency partners and commercial partners to you know frame test solution and even prototype challenging problems and and so that's what i when you ask what does a chief technologist do that's kind of how i see it so bringing that all together um if we're looking at some of the trends and i'm thinking of very macro level here but um macro level within digital transformation trends um with federal clients um what, what are you seeing out there and and we can then come on to some of your predictions but what are you seeing currently yeah i think without a doubt that the, and i was just talking to a group of uh our our younger career folks in the company recently about this this year is going to be the year of data right we've been working towards this point for years uh and the federal government over the past 12 months has just made phenomenal efforts to onboard new talent right they just hired what 500 new data scientists uh engage in different approaches you know we're just hearing about all kinds of new technology brought to bear and it's, it's not the typical oh let's use tableau and make it pretty it's it's fundamental things like let's stand up our data lakes let's figure out how to get kafka working let's figure like really things that are going to fundamentally change the platform and engagement um and approaches to leverage that technology and accelerate the use of data, right? So people, it's not just, it's not just getting it in the door, it's actually using it to make better decisions. So I think you're gonna see this year a lot of effort to pull the data together and leverage it to gain insights, right? Because in a lot of these programs, they've been storing it for years and now we're figuring out how to, how to actually use it. Um, for me, I'm very hopeful that, you know, this year will also be the year that we begin to have the really hard conversations around how do we accelerate sharing and management of data between agencies and between agencies in the public, right? So if you go to data.gov today, there's very little automated pushes from agencies to the public on, on what data is and how it's shared. And it's really interesting because there's a lot of conversations happening in the back end about, you know, like the um, open policy agent from the CNCF about how to manage kind of access into resources. And the reality is, is that those same constructs and frameworks can very much apply to how we share data, right? So, so I'm hopeful that this year will be the year of data because it means that we're gonna have the real conversations around how do we share that data effectively uh, and how do we make it more meaningful? And you only do that when you bring it together, right? So a lot of the software and a lot of the platforms that have been going into the agencies over the past few years have 
uh, and, and of course have been accelerated over the last 12 months, uh, have just been accruing all this data. And they're going to start paying off as folks realize that they have this treasure trove of, of knowledge that they can dip into and make use of. Um, and then, and then, then they're going to start figuring out, okay, how do I, if you've got some knowledge and I've got some knowledge and we find a way to get that knowledge connected, now it's an exponential effect, right? So that's what gets me excited. I think that this is going to be the year both of, of data becoming real and then hopefully starting those hard conversations of, okay, now that we know data's are, are you know, and it's even in the defense strategy, right? Data, and I think in the national strategy, data is a strategic asset. Now that we know that, we recognize it, we've we've started to begin that uh, culturalization of it. Well, now let's have the conversations around, okay, so because data is a strategic asset, we can no longer treat it as a tactical component. It now has to be a strategic component. And that means the data you have and the data I have have to be shared meaningfully. It's, and it's, it's fascinating. And, uh, you know, I, I'd actually not even really thought about it that way before. Um, so when you're looking at, you know, digital transformation platforms specifically in the federal space, what, what is the future of that? You know, if we can really get our crystal balls out and look at, a, uh, you know, further down the line once all this is in place, what, what, what's your predictions? Yeah, so we had this conversation around data quality uh, today with, with, our, with our career folks, and it really starts with that, right? So go to any chief data officer in the federal government today, and they'll probably tell you the biggest problem they have is creating quality data in the organization, right? So, so but as we do that, and as we get that more, uh, more consistent, uh, it's going to be fascinating what we're going to see, right? So as we get over those hurdles, um, it's going to become much, much easier to jump into uh, much more emergent technology sets. So like AI, as an example. So so the National uh, Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence just produced their uh, final uh, recommendations on how to accelerate AI adoption in the United States. And by the way, as a country, the United States is, uh, is competitive with other uh, peer countries or near peer countries, but mm -hmm. it, it's we're very close to losing that edge. Right. We have to find ways to accelerate that. And it's important in this discussion. This is how it comes back to data. Right. Good data, aggregated data, accessible data, shared data are what are precursors for those good AI systems. Right. Because most AI we see today are based on closed loop data ecosystems. Right. So self-driving vehicles, even this DARPA test where they had two warplanes basically fight each other out AI versus a human and the AI won, right? But again, a closed loop system, the, the AI is getting all its own inputs and all its own reality, right? As a, as a human being connected to other human beings, we have access to so much more data than any computer today can possibly access because we haven't overcome those sharing restrictions. So as we overcome the ability to share data and the ability to uh, aggregate that data, now it's gonna become more and more system, more and more systematic, and we're going to be able to break out of those closed loops, and that's going to be really fascinating because it's going to switch from artificial intelligence to really assistive intelligence. And it's interesting because go to anybody on the West Coast, and and they see those two things as flipped, right? Siri is seen as kind of a lesser AI than than a deep mind, and the reality is, and, and that that I think that we're using the terms wrong. An assistive AI is really going to be cognitively bound and it's going to be able to help us in ways we can't even imagine today because of the access to data is going to be much more human-like and they're going to be much more human-centric uh, in their approach and how they, how they synthesize and make recommendations out of that data. And that's going to be the assistive 
part of it, right? You're really going to have a true digital colleague or a digital assistant to work with you versus versus a closed loop AI making decisions based on inputs that it's getting. Anybody, talk to any high frequency trader and they'll tell you any closed loop system is relatively easy uh, to develop. It's it's when you start getting those those unpredictable events and you have to start developing those cognitive functions that everything becomes so much more fascinating and ultimately so much more interesting from a digital perspective. When we when we first had our uh, initial introduction, you, you talked um, you talked a little bit about mid-level government career folks coming back into the private sector um, and, and how that is kind of really critical for the modernization of, of, of some of the work in government. Um, I, you know, our podcast do sort of focus on mentorship. So I think that'd be a really interesting uh, topic if you could sort of dig into that a little bit for our listeners. Yeah. You know, Ben, I really appreciate you bringing this up. This is a real passion point for me. I think that there's a, you know, there's there's this tendency to see movement in and out of the private sector at the entry level and at the senior levels. Um, if you if you hang around the government long enough, you'll hear conversations about about something we call the, you know, the quote unquote frozen middle. Right. Mm-hmm. And and when we hear that term, it's referring to career bureaucrats who who have found a particular way of executing to be effective for their mission. Um, and because of that, because they they understand what the path to success looks like, you know, they, they tend to be largely resistant to trying new things, even when they've got explicit approval to do so, right? So so I'm not using the term bureaucrat as a, as a pejorative, right? And it's important that the government have dedicated professionals. And this is this is really important because it's no different than any other industry vertical, right? You you wouldn't expect somebody who has worked in the airline industry all their all their life to suddenly be transplanted into, say, um, food service and suddenly be running, you know, McDonald's or something like that, right? There are there are commonalities there, but there are enough fundamental differences in that that, that it would be a very difficult shift. So you know. When we talk about that middle area, really where we have developed that deep expertise in our delivery, right? Uh, what ends up happening is that in that kind of you know five to fifteen year span, employees become very culturally acclimated, mm-hmm. uh, and because the government tends to lag behind, you know, oftentimes by you know five years or so, they they now find themselves completely unprepared for any commercial role. Right. So by the time they get to that middle level where they have gotten real skills and knowledge around mission delivery and effectiveness uh, from the commercial perspective and from you know the general private perspective, even from near perspectives like like our company where we're closely aligned to the government, it becomes a much harder bridge. Um, if we if we actually took the time to target those mid-level employees and say, our goal is to make you commercially attractive because we know that in that process we will make sure you have the knowledge, skills, and abilities, not only to be successful in a private sector job, but then to, you know, either bring those back into our organization or to eventually bring those to another government organization, right? Now we've got this fluidity, right? And we're seeing this transactional um, movement where, where it's not just government folks moving from government jobs within the government vertical. Now it's somebody who does, uh, who might be doing technology in a government agency, going into the technology sector, uh, spending a few years there, and then coming back into government to do a technology job in government, right? It tends to very strongly align towards the actual industry verticals. 
Uh, and this is this is uh, a little bit of an oversimplification, but the reality is is that we're seeing phenomenal uh, positive use cases coming out of like the Defense Department, where they where they've seen some really good success stories from extended career breaks and commercial fellowships. And you can just imagine how impactful it would be if the government really took the time and energy to look to look at that middle uh, section of the employment demographic and say, you know, we want you to not be, not just be, not only be effective for government, but we want you to be competitive in the commercial sector too. And here's how we're going to do it, you know, and we're going to do it through creating opportunities for knowledge, for skills, for abilities, um, and and then really get that transactional in and out of government moving so that the government then becomes a job just like any other. And that will be a phenomenal change to the system. I, I'm very hopeful that as we continue these conversations, you know, especially around how, how do we improve and how do we normalize a lot of the work that like USDS and others have been doing to kind of bring technologists into the government, that we remember all of the dedicated professionals that are currently in government and make sure that we're working to to care for them as well, right? We want that transactional nature. We want them to go out into the private sector and and see what's going on and then come back and make it work for the American people. And, and, and this is true of any government, but in ours specifically, uh, I think we've got probably more problems than most. Right. Um, and so with a, from a client standpoint, um, I'm sure there are a lot of very senior level people in, in the federal and in government space starting to try and like work out how to navigate sort of digital cultures and, and where they should start. What, what advice and do you offer to your customers who are embarking on digital transformational change? Yeah. Um, so I change management is one of those things that's super fascinating to me because like, I think if you took every book on change management that existed and stacked it end to end, you could probably get to the moon, right? I mean, it's, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things out there around how to help, uh, lead folks through change. Uh, and lately it's been this digital transformation discussion. I'm a big believer in uh, what I call simple change management, right? It has two components. So it's, that's why I call it simple, right? It's called the, the exemplar in the way, right? So when you look at what make, what changes have been successful, where have they been successful? The really, I mean, there's a whole lot of, of academics wrapped into this and you could peel it apart and dissect it a thousand different ways. But at the end of the day, the one thing that's consistent through all of that, whenever you see a successful change in culture, there is both someone who does it and a prescriptive, and I, and I don't mean in that, you know, one steps, one, two, three, four, five, but in that the path is visible way to do it, right? So the exemplar in the way. And when you have those two things, uh, then almost any change is possible. Now, that's, that's simple, and people will say, well, of course. Here's the hard part. You have to do it over and over and over again, right? So you need an exemplar and then you need another and you need another. And you always must have somebody in that role who is understanding that that it's going to be a difficult thing for them to do, but they're showing everyone and creating, in some cases, the way, right? The, the process by which people can do it. And you're going to have to fall down. You're going to have to get up and try again, right? So this gets into building agile culture. Right. And that's what I think a lot of folks miss is that they expect that there's going to be an endpoint to this transition. And the reality is that there isn't. It's a continuous 
improvement. It's a continuous thing where you're always going to be setting up the exemplar in the way. You don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to play the violin for an orchestra or I'm going to run a marathon. Or, or maybe you do, but the reality is it takes months and sometimes years of practice and repetition and screwing up uh, and learning. And so that's the message, right? You, you don't change the culture, right? You change what you do and how you do things. And you do that for yourself and then you do it for others. And what you do is what creates the culture. I love that. And um, I can imagine it's quite, you, you sometimes need to reel, reel, reel your uh, best practice mindset back in a little bit because it's very easy to sometimes want to do everything all at yeah. once. But, you know, yeah. that, that underpinning of it needs to be there. Um, you know, yeah. yeah but I, so I just want to add one thing yeah, to that because uh, a very senior, so this is one of my favorite sayings, a very senior diplomat said to me once, best practices rarely are. Right. Uh, and and I and I thought that was and it really took me like a, probably a good year or two to noodle over that phrase until I realized what he was saying is that by the time everybody else has adopted a practice, it's no longer best because there are just so many ways to interpret it and so much fidelity gets lost in that process. Um, so so I think that, you know, when we think about w what is best what is best is going to be unique to the organization. It's going to be unique to the mission. It's going to be unique to, and there's, there's lots of common things we can pull through, but this is again, kind of going back to the exemplar on the way, everybody's journey is going to be different. And the most important aspect of that journey is taking those steps one after another, after another. And, and once that's done, how will the government be sort of using, you know, platforms like, you know, service now um, to drive sort of insights and analysis in, in their, you know, businesses, if I can use that word. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's now that, okay. So now that we've got all these platforms in place, right. And, uh, and, and over the last 20 years, especially, I think, uh, we're finally getting to the point of that initial thrust of digitization where, you know, for the most part, even if your paper, even if you start with paper, it's somewhere in, in the process, it's getting digitized, right? I, I think there are a few truly paper processes left in government. So now we have enormous stores of data. Um, and ServiceNow is a big part of that, right? Because it makes it easy to interact with and, 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 and work with that data. Um, but now you've got government managers who are like, well, what do we do with that? <laughs> right. And, and on one hand, you know, I'd never, I'd never suggest that, you know, we go the route that certain commercial companies who shall be unnamed would go and, and dig into data invasively or, or, or questionably ethically. Right. Uh, but there are a lot of alternatives to, to that level, right? We can anonymize it. We can scrub it. We can make it, we can make data useful without making data attributable. Right. And when we do that, it helps to, you know, understand and reinforce and accelerate good behaviors, right? Because again, going back to that, that how do we actually implement di agile digital culture, right? We want to establish exemplars. We want to establish the ways in which people can do that. And when we can accelerate those good behaviors using data, right? So we know, for example, what are the traditional uh, interactions that we would see in high-performing agile teams, right? And so we could we can create environments that then encourage those kinds of behaviors. Uh, and when the data becomes this reinforcing mechanism for developing that 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 journey, right? That transformation uh, suddenly it becomes 
it, it no longer becomes an asset and instead becomes an active, useful participant and assistant in the journey. And that's, that's the whole point of data, right? Data, so I, I always joke around with this, right? Data at rest is a library. Data, <laughs> data in motion is an athlete. And okay. they both have different roles and, and they both have different uses. But ultimately, it's a whole lot more exciting to watch an athlete than it is to watch a library. It's a really nice way of putting it. I, again, wouldn't have really sort of thought of it in that manner before. So that's really, that's awesome. Um, are there any clients or customers that you can sort of share with us that sort of might be good use cases? Um, you know, I'm not just thinking about the data side here, more, more holistically for our listeners. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't mention like specific agencies, obviously, but, you know, as I mentioned, Dev, you know, Dev Technology has been around for 23 years. You know, we, we have a long successful history of partnering with, with the government to help instill those good iterative agile practices, right? So whether it is doing ServiceNow work for an agency or implementing kind of cloud transformation and modernization work, right? We, we've done all those things. The, the secret sauce is, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, we're always focused on that human, culturally sensitive approach, um, mission-centric that meets the partner where, where they are, right? And it's interesting because I, I use the term culturally sensitive, and I mean that because um, oftentimes the government agencies are focused on the mission so much that they, that they miss out on the fact that their mission has also set the stage for their culture, right? And so being sensitive and being understanding and being able to work inside that culture is what makes an excellent partner, right? So it's not as flashy as what you tend to see in the media. And, and that's okay because the people we work with know that we deliver for the mission. We've delivered for every mission we've ever worked with and it's always been, uh, it's always been exceptional. And we help them make the most out of their tech. We help them build the practices and methods to getting to the next level in their journey. Uh, and it's really important to kind of go back to that whole idea of that, that journey being a series of steps. Right. And so we want to be that partner who helps clients. Right. We've helped clients move to the cloud years ago uh, and, and are still aggressively adopting cloud. And, and now we're doing cloud native. Right. So now they're on, on the cutting edge of stuff. And they're very different than, than other agencies that might still be doing traditional waterfall approaches. And there's every client in between that you can imagine. And the key is again acknowledging that that journey for every agency is going to be different and it is better uh, and more effective and more impactful to partner with organizations who understand that who work with you within your constructs but also have a very broad knowledge and an understanding of how to get you to what's next John, this has been really, really insightful. Um, you know, is there, is there anything you'd like to add before we, um, before we call it a day? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, if, you know, I will say, Ben, if, if, you know, we're always on the lookout for great talent. Uh, you know, we are kind of a, an emerging large business. Uh, and we, especially in the metro DC area that we're based out of, we have a lot of recent competition, right? Google is now, is now big in our region and Amazon's building a new headquarters. Uh, and so, you know, we're always on the lookout for amazing talent. And I would say to your listeners, if you like what you heard and, you know, and you're interested in working for those 
you know, human-centered, mission-focused organizations, then we're always looking for uh, those kinds of, of people, right? And we always publish our specific needs at uh, www.devtechnology.com slash careers. Um, and you can follow you can follow me on LinkedIn. You can follow the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and participate, right? Be, be part of the conversation because uh, I think when we all focus on making the government better, the government will get better uh, and will uh, and will work for us. And, that, and that's what we all want out of this. Awesome. John, it's really been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll look forward to uh, hearing from you again soon. Yeah, I really appreciate your time, Ben, and thanks for having me. AI Action is brought to you by Aldus International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Aldus offer an exec search program. Aldus can help you discover how data science and AI can transform your company. With our unrivaled network of C-suite executives and senior AI professionals, we offer retained search services across the US and Europe. Get the Aldus advantage. Become a member of the Aldus community and enjoy some of the following. AI meetups. Once a month, our community gathers to listen to some of the leading experts in the world of data science and AI. Our speakers come from all over the world, including Dublin, Boston, and Frankfurt. We also have our AI mentors. Our experts will provide mentoring to all its members. And don't forget our AI on Action podcast. Each week, we have guests from all over the world talking us through their education, career, and more. Become an Aldus member and get the Aldus advantage. For more information and to sign up for our newsletter, log on to www.aldus.com. That's www.aldus.com. Aldus International, empowering through AI.